Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 854 with Chef Farrell Alvarez. With our industry, you build these deep connections, you know, and the task at hand, getting through dinner service, is so challenging and takes such team effort that you really form crazy bonds with people. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the tools they need to transform their online presence, simplify their ordering and delivery, and take control of their marketing. Pop Menu will build your restaurant a website that is designed to engage guests, showcase your menu with featured photos and reviews, and allow you to ditch those boring PDFs. But Pop Menu is so much more than an online menu. Each Pop Menu site is built with in-house delivery options to open up more revenue streams and to meet guests where they want to eat. And you can easily set up curbside pickup and contactless ordering. And Pop Menu remarketing tools enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Trust me, with Pop Menu, you will take your restaurant to the next level. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. One more time, popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with talk Talk to the manager, head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. This is the last of my Tampa Bay interviews. And uh, again, a special thanks going out to Peter Lazar for uh, obviously for coming on the show, but also helping me connect with all these people in such short notice. And 
because of the nature of my trip out here, because it was so short notice, uh, today's interview is a little shorter than I like. However, I'm super grateful that Chef Earl uh, made time for us. And man, what an awesome interview today was. Chef Pharrell has so much energy and passion. It's so obvious. And we got into some stuff today. Uh, I don't want to give too, too much away now, but something that's come up a lot for me in the past, I think something I've been echoing for as far back as I can remember for at least a few years now is this idea, you know, I've been asking all my, my guests, what's one thing that needs to transform in the industry. And, uh, chef Pharrell mentioned something today. He echoed a sentiment that I've been sharing for a while. This idea that we need to educate the general public about the value of food. And I think we've been, uh, really kind of hurting ourselves, competing against ourselves, uh, price gouging each other, when it comes down to we should be charging exactly what it costs to run our businesses. It should be an equation. And I think this is something that we need to support each other with on how do you price out a menu? What are the costs of certain things? What are the, what's the cost of labor and what should we be charging so we can run sustainable businesses so we can give our employees the benefits and the lifestyle that everyone is entitled to. So, Interesting stuff. I think you really kind of reinforce one of those sentiments, uh, this idea of how we need to transform the industry and more on that in the episode. Uh, and just again, special thanks to chef Earl for coming on the show. And he said that anytime I'm, I'm back in Tampa, we can pick up the conversation and I'm taking you up on that offer, chef. I'd love to come back out there and continue this, this conversation. Cause I feel like we just scraped the surface on a lot of the stuff we discussed today, but with no further ado, here he is chef Farrell Alvarez. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef, owner of Rooster and Till, Chef Farrell Alvarez. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? You know, I actually am feeling unstoppable today. Nice. It's a Saturday. It's a good Saturday. Restaurants sold out on reservations, so I'm ready to do this. Beautiful, man. I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, my mantra is uh, also a hashtag I like to use a lot, even though hashtags are kind of dying, and it's constant progression. A constant progression. Two words. In. Constant progression. That's it. I love it. You know? So where did you learn that? Why is that the, the quote we, we chose for today? Um, you know, I don't know how it got injected into my brain, but it's been about a solid five to seven years that I've been kind of uh, using that as a mantra, so to speak. I even have art in my office next door, you know, where somebody made me a big plaque that says constant progression. I've had people use it as well and tell me some really positive things off of it, which is kind of surprising to me and humbling. But um, I just think it's true. It's constant progression, right? Whether it's with my family, my wife, my relationship, communication within my relationships, my businesses, my employees, I'm always trying to um, maintain constant progression. I don't want to sit stagnant. So I think progress, pretty straightforward word, but what, what does the word progress mean to you? The word progress just means development in any level, right? Like, um, to me, it's just, it's just about thinking about something and bettering it on any level. It doesn't have to be uh, monetarily based. Progress is me meeting you today and us doing this podcast t- together. I'm helping you. You're helping me. And we're learning more about each other. We're teaching some of the environment and our industry some things by our conversation. To me, that's progression. Yes. Progression in so many different ways. I love it, Chef. Thank you so much for getting into that. And um, I mean, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Uh, actually, because I... 
in doing so many shotgun interviews while I'm out here, I'm kind of putting my, my trust in Peter Lazar, who knows this market really well. And uh, it, it, we literally, like, this time last week, I didn't know I was going to be in, in Tampa Bay. Um, he's like, these are the people you need to talk to. I've been driving all over. I haven't had time to do the research I usually do. So I'm literally a, a blank slate on you. And getting let's let's get in the airplane let's zoom to thirty thousand feet yeah and just give me like the quick without getting into detail how you got into the industry and the stops you made along the way yeah of course so the the quick little uh the short bio version right is um i am now 43 years old so if we rewind to when i was 15 years old i was growing up as a little punk ass kid and my mom was working a couple jobs to hold it down for us i wanted all these things like a beeper and car and (laughs) car insurance so uh Mom said, you got to get a job. You got to fend for yourself. I got a job as a dishwasher at a place that I had nothing, I knew nothing about. It was a catering company slash deli. Alan Strayman was the owner. And I didn't know what this mean, but he was a graduate of the CIA in Hyde Park, New York. Um, long story short from that, he believed in me, put me onto a culinary path. I worked full time when I was 15 years old. I've never stopped working full time. I worked in, that was in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. Okay. Um, so I make it through high school barely, uh, and cooking honestly saved me through high school and kept me out of real trouble. Then we went to culinary school right after high school. I stayed in Cincinnati by myself, 18 years old, my first apartment. Mom took off back to Florida. I'm solo and, um, I'm figuring out life on my own, working full time, school full time, doing my rounds, uh, in Cincinnati and restaurants graduate culinary school i'm 19 or 20 years old i come back to florida to tampa to help mom out move in with her i assume a job at saddlebrook resort at that time uh three three uh diamond golf and tennis resort very well known so i did that for four and a half years worked my way up through uh, the ranks and became sous chef tournant after that i moved to mise place as a i stepped down to take a position there as a line cook for marty blitz who's legend in Tampa. He's been around. They're celebrating, actually, their 35th anniversary in January. You know, back in the day when I'm 18, 17, and I'm reading magazines, back then it was Gourmet Magazine, you know, and food and wine wasn't hitting as hard as it is today. And Marty Blitz was everywhere. He was the only person in Tampa. James Beard recognized, and, you know, Marty's the man. Everybody in Tampa knows him, and even nationwide, you know, he's great friends with Michael Mina and did all kinds of remarkable things. But so I, I, I I, I gift of gab my way into a position with him as a saute cook, um, paraphrasing my history there, I was there for seven and a half years. I started off as uh, Tay Cook. I worked my way up to sous chef and then created uh, the very first position of chef de cuisine. I was pretty much running Mise en Place, which was, at that time, hands down the best restaurant in Tampa. Or Some people would say that it still is. Um, I met my best friend there as well, Ty Rodriguez, unbeknownst to me at that time. He, was, he took the position as GM, moving down from New York and... Uh, we were there for seven and a half years together and, and hit great highs with Marty and Marianne Blitz, the, 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 owner, the owners, still current owners. After that, we took a, um, a position at, a, at another local restaurant. They wanted to kind of redo what they were doing, so that was my first executive chef position. Ty came along with me as a package deal. We revamped the restaurant. We were there for four and a half years. We left there, and then we started our own proprietorship, which is Rooster in the Till. That's nine years ago. I've been in business for eight of those years. And uh, in those eight years, we have also opened up three more restaurants. So I own four restaurants in total. I've been lucky enough to get a lot of national accolades. Uh, Most proud, you know, James Beard nomination in 2017, Best Chef South. 
um, you know, all the, all the periodicals, food and wine, and all those great things that are very nice and humbling. Um, but more importantly, we just are great people doing great things with food here at Rooster and Till and kicking ass. Beautiful, man. Um, and now I get to, it's great to just literally roll into this interview with an open mind to hear what I'm about to dive into. And I could not be more excited to pull back the layers on this. I think I might've missed something between uh, culinary school in Cincinnati and uh, the golf resort. Uh, yeah, Saddlebrook Golf Resort. Yeah, that's uh, so after high school, graduation of culinary school, I'm 19. That's probably like late 90s. I moved back down to Tampa and I take a position at Saddlebrook Resort, okay. which is a golf and tennis resort up in Zephyr Hills, about 45 minutes north of where we're sitting right now. And then you came to the golf resort. Is that the golf resort? Or is that yeah, it's a golf resort. Golf resort. Sorry, golf. I yep. heard it wrong. My apologies. Okay, I think we're ready to start pulling back these layers. So. One thing that really stood out to me, let's, let's go back to this first role with uh, Chef Allen at, when you were a dishwasher, and yeah. graduate of CIA. What, where were you? Meant to, was this, this, I'm assuming this was, just, this was a job at this point, right? Truly was. Okay, so when did it become more than that? Honestly, when he started believing in me, and uh, I was like, wow, this guy, this stranger is believing in me. And I was, you know, I was, just, I was a kid doing knucklehead things, man. You know, I was... Uh, I was that typical chef story where, you know, if I wouldn't have started cooking, I probably would be on a way different path than I am right now in my yeah. life. And yeah. it truly saved me, as did the early birth of my daughter. But we'll get to that later. So, yeah, I, I take a job as a dishwasher. I answered an ad, show up, catering company slash deli during the day. And I start washing dishes and then doing some light vegetable prep. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I came up in the old school, you know. My, my father's from Colombia. My mother's family is from Italy. So, you know, old blue-collar work ethic. We always had uh, a lot of hard work to do as young kids for our chores on the weekends, and mom kept a, you know, a tight leash on us. So I had good work ethic. I just shut my mouth, and I kept working. He believed in me and kept feeding me. You must know Chef Genie. Of course, yeah. Parola, yeah. Just came from talking to Chef Genie. Yeah, that's my and girl. And we were literally just in tears talking about the power of a chef's ability to see something in somebody and to let them know that they have something. And that is the most single powerful thing you probably have as a chef or an owner or a restaurateur or whatever it is, is to recognize the strengths in others and to put them on a path, to let them know that they're good at something. Yeah, absolutely. Reflect a little bit deeper on what I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, we all want to be recognized. We all want to be loved. You know, I think that's like human nature. I think with, um, with our industry, you build these deep connections, you know, and the the task at hand getting through dinner service is so challenging and takes such team effort that you really form crazy bonds with people. And now I'm in a position where, you know, we have 57 employees. So I see people, we don't have much turnover, you know, we're very fortunate for that. So I see people stick around and stay and I see potential in people and the, the human in me, the love in me just wants to, you know, fertilize these people and help them grow yeah let's be honest most of the people are in this industry because they 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 got into this industry because they don't know where they're going so they're here for now until they figure out where they're going and even if putting them on a track means putting them on a track out of your industry or out of your restaurant that's the right thing to do and it's our it's our job to recognize and i think that i think one of the skill like one of the common skill sets in restaurant tours is the ability to see the strengths in others right and surrounding yourself with those strengths and it, it cannot be overstated. If you see somebody who has it in your in your restaurant, God damn it, let them know. Yeah, because they won't know. They they're not self aware. They need to be told what they're good at. 
think it's a sign of a good leader too. You know, you got to, you got to see those qualities in people and you got to really help bring them out. You got to help, you know, help them feel confident, help them get better with their self-confidence and, um, and help them grow, yes, whether sir. it's with you or without you. I love it, man. So at what point, so you're, you're working in this dishwasher, Chef Allen sees something in you. He believed in you. Like you said, uh, and he sets you on a path to culinary school. Where'd you go to culinary school? I went to culinary school at Cincinnati Culinary Arts Academy. That was okay. in downtown Cincinnati on Ezra Charles Boulevard next to Taft High School. I still remember it very clearly, obviously. Uh, it since has closed, unfortunately, but it was like, it was the last of a dying breed of culinary schools before they came, became these $80,000, uh, money pits for these kids, you know, where you're taking psychology classes and all this stuff. Not that I don't think some of that is beneficial, but you know, when you get out of culinary school and you're making 15 bucks an hour, it takes a lot of hours to pay that loan back. Yeah. I mean, typically I, I try to, I don't try to share my beliefs on culinary school before I don't want to influence opinion or anything like that uh, before I hear the perspective. But was it a good experience for you? Yeah, it was an amazing experience for me, yeah. but you know, it was very different back then. You know, I mean, I think my total cost was $13,000. Yeah. yeah. It was two years straight. No days off except for major holidays. You went Monday through Friday, basically like high school in terms of hours. You were there 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock. And that's what it was. I mean, and there was you had to test in. So I think there was like 60-something applicants. Only 28 of us made into the class. And I think only 16 of us graduated. Okay. You know? was, was there a key mentor? Did you have another? Yeah, Chef Michael O'Neill. Michael, Michael O'Neill, man. I'll never forget him. Um, what did he, Michael teach you? Michael taught me everything, man. He taught me he taught me how to drink. He taught me how to <laughs> use a knife. He taught me how to be uh, a man in the kitchen. He taught us. It, it's again, it's that old school mentality. This is you know we're talking mid to late nineties, so it was very different than it is now, and society was different than it is now too. You know, this was very much a drug and alcohol ridden uh, industry heavily at that time. It was very much a rock and roll lifestyle. Uh, as, as appealing as it was, it was also extremely detrimental. Um, and this was the time where, you know, you got pans thrown at you if you didn't do well. And, you know, you got, you would get smacked and burned and, you know, like people were drunk during work and stuff like that. And this is on a very high level of cooking too. This isn't like short order cooking crap. Uh, and that's just the way it was. I mean, everybody knows about Bourdain and his stories and that, that would, that is very true. That yeah. That's kind of, uh, that was kind of the, the turmoil of the industry then, and I think uh, you know we've come leaps and bounds since yeah. then. Yeah, and obviously he taught you how to cook. That's what you were going to culinary school for, to learn how yeah. to cook. Um, but you say he taught you how to be a man in the kitchen. That's the kind of shit that I'm after. Yeah. What does it mean to be a man in the kitchen? Paint that picture of what he taught you. You know, to when I say to be a man in the kitchen, I just mean to, to be an adult, you know, whether you're man, woman, or any, any gender. Um, it's just how you conduct yourself. It's that, it's that level of respect with your... your fellow peers it's uh, accountability responsibility it's how you conduct yourself it's coming in early and staying late it's doing the right thing um to always achieve constant progression yeah values he injected these values into these work ethic 100 percent. and i think it's important when i don't think we do that there's there's almost a lack of work ethic right now and you can't blame the newest wave of or professionals in general the past two years restaurants haven't even been an option for people to go to work at like you like where where do kids go to get jobs? They go to restaurants, right? In the past couple of years, it wasn't even an option. So you get people that during the beginning of pandemic were like 16, right? That's when they would be getting their first jobs. Almost two years now has gone by. Yeah. And they 
they're almost like they're in the, they're, they're, they're adults or 18, you know, like technically legally they're adults. Yeah. They haven't had the chance to, to cut their teeth. They haven't been exposed to the work ethic yet. That's a great so point. We're, it's weird. Like we're just, these people are being thrown into adulthood, into the, the professional world and they've never had a job and it's not because of their own fault. You know, like what's going through your mind as I'm saying this, my daughter. Yeah. 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 Cause um, you know, she's going to be 17 in, in two weeks. Uh, and she works. She's working right now for one of my restaurants about a mile away as we speak. Uh, but yeah, she started right when she turned fourteen. A month after she turned fourteen, um, she got a job here as a. Uh, Where are we right now? We are at Rooster in the Till. Um, so she got a job here at Rooster in the Till as kind of like a backup hostess, if you will, slash backup server assistant. Um, it was way too focused for her at fourteen. So I moved her to a different restaurant that's more burgers and fried chicken and stuff like that. Younger kids working there, and that's doing good for her. But yeah, same thing. You know, it's like. That development process, I think it's really important to get a job and to learn the accountability that I'm not managing, right? Have like an, a, an outside person manage that for you yeah. and teach you those things, much like Alan did for me or Chef Mike did for me, as opposed to my mother. You know, um, of course, mom and dad are always, you know, your key supporters and, and, and educators, but when you have people, people touch you, you know, people touch you in life. And, and Alan and Michael were very much those people in my life. Yeah. And I think it's important to be aware of our influence. Like we said, like it's, we also give these kids a hard time because they don't have the work ethic, but guess what? Whose job is it to instill work ethic into the next generation? That's right. No, even with our employees, we, we preach that from a hierarchy level. You know, it's like if they're not prepared for something or if they're not doing it right, then it's on us yep. because we haven't given them the proper tools and or guidance on what we're asking of them. Yes, sir. Um, okay, so any other big lessons, key mentors, transformative moments for you during this time of coming up uh, studying before we move on? Um, you know, Miss Graziani in school, man, she was my accountant teacher of all things. And uh, she was the one that said to me, she goes, hey, I know you're into this culinary arts thing. And mind you, this is before Emerald. This is before Food Network, before anything was glamorized and, and before that whole side of our industry took place. This was, I mean, you had Kitchen Confidential at that time, and I think that's about it, you know? Um, so it wasn't as, my father's a retired physician, for example. He's old school Latin Colombian from South America. I told him at 16 I was going to be a chef. He was so pissed and hurt, and he said, looked at me in, in his very deep, thick Spanish accent, said, so you're going to be a greasy cook for the rest of your life? And, you know, here we are 28, 29 years later, and um, I'm a relatively successful entrepreneur that owns four restaurants, and I'm opening up two more, uh, and he could not be more proud of me. You know? Tell me that that did not give you a little chip on your shoulder. Yeah, for sure. You know, and honestly, <laughs> I, almost, I almost gave it all up to pursue medicine by the pressure of my family when I was like 23 or 24, which I would have never succeeded at because I'm way too ADHD for, for academics of that level, and I never did well that way. And this is truly my calling, you know, like I'm good with my hands. I'm good with inspiring people, talking to people, and... Um, yeah, academics is just not for me. I think it's just huge though. Like the these little things, like these little triggers in life. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I don't mean to make an assumption. I'm not saying this is true, but it seems like a lot of times the reason what what gives people that edge to keep showing up that, to, to to prove somebody wrong. Absolutely right to say like you don't think I can do it or you don't believe. Not that he didn't think you could do it, but it's like he didn't re, he didn't you didn't have his respect for making that decision. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, and my getting my crossing. No, no, not, here, my, no, you're good, man. Um, okay. and you're not wrong. You know, it's, um, I'm very much like that too. If you, if you want to see my best, tell me I can't do something. Yeah. And then, you know, come hella high water. I'm figuring it Dude, out. 
I, and I, I, it's hard for me to not hear other people's stories and to reflect it onto myself. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I told you earlier when I was trying to say your name that I'm dyslexic and I say shit stupid all the time, right? <laughs> uh, I became a colorblind, dyslexic, ADHD commercial pilot. Nice. Because, my, because I didn't think my dad thought I could do it, right? And that's not to say my dad doesn't love me, but my dad also being, he's like, are you sure you want to be a commercial pilot? Like, think about like what you're trying to do, right? And, and I interpreted that as you don't think I can do it. And guess what? It was fucking hard, dude. Yep. It was hard for me to, to climb that because I wasn't leaning into my strengths. I was leaning into all my weaknesses to achieve a hard thing for anybody, right? But because he didn't think, I, I thought, I don't, I don't think this now, but I thought that he didn't think I could do it. I said, fuck you, watch me. Yep. And that's such a powerful thing. What's going through your mind as I say that? Um, just, you know, reflecting on that same thing with my, I think with my father, um, my mother was always super supportive. Like she's like, Oh yeah, you could do that. Oh yeah, you could do that. You know? And she's still that way. She's still my, my biggest fan. Although my father is definitely tied for first place, you know, and uh, we have an amazing relationship and he's very, very proud of who I've become. Yeah. But I was definitely the black sheep and I definitely (laughs) put him through some hard times and you know, I I was, uh, I was a rough kid growing up and I had some rough times up until I was about 23, 24. And that's when my girlfriend, quote unquote, accidentally got pregnant. Yeah. So you were in Tampa when this happened. So at this point, yeah. 23, 24, when did you graduate at CIA? Or not CIA, the um, Culinary, uh, culinary Institute. Yeah. Culinary, uh, so I think that was like 99. 99. I literally went out that night and partied at this club called Annie's with our whole class of 14 kids, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was an old disco warehouse on Ohio River in downtown Cincinnati. And uh, we partied until four in the morning. I went home and uh, my mom was, she had driven up for my graduation. And the next morning I jumped in the car, still probably drunk at like nine, 10 in the morning. And we drove back to Tampa and uh, I moved there. I moved back here the very next day. And that's when I pursued a Saddlebrook resort. So what was it about Saddlebrook that, I mean, you, you could have a job almost anywhere with a culinary degree, breaking into coming down to Florida. Why Saddlebrook? Well, again, uh, this is going back, what, 21 years ago now. Yep. So Tampa wasn't the culinary scene that it is today. There wasn't that many options. Uh, and I was also living an hour north of where we are now at Rooster, which an hour north of here is Hernando County, Spring Hill. Okay. Uh, and there is not shit up there. So um, close by is Saddlebrook Resort because it's outside of the city where there's acreage upon acreage and it's really beautiful landscape. So I found that resort. And um, I was super impressed with it at, at my age. And that was the closest, best thing to where I lived proximity-wise that actually had some true culinary uh, chops. I worked at some local mom-and-pop Italian places because Spring Hill is pretty much a little Long Island. You're, you know, everybody comes down here to retire. It goes there to retire. I call uh, Florida Southern New England. <laughs> oh, it's, you're, you're so accurate, so accurate. So I, I worked at a couple places there, you know, doing like veal scallopini and stuff. And yeah. I was like, dude, I got to do something a little bit more complex than this. It just wasn't, I was, you know, I was beyond that already. I've been exposed to more things culinarily. So I needed more, found Saddlebrook, got a job there. Uh, four, four years. Four and a half years yeah. there, man. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I went through my young punk stage where I thought I was cool because I, you know, had a, had an embroidered chef coat and, you know, I had the, the, the tall paper hat and. You know, I did breakfast, but I, I really, I learned a lot there. You know, in retrospect, everything is different, right? So in retrospect, um, I did AM, I ran AM brunches there. So I would be there at five o'clock in the morning, scrambling eggs and cooking breakfast buffets. You know, we've had people like Adam Sandler and uh, um, a lot of the tennis pros there. Um, Pete Sampras, all those people had houses there and stuff and um, still do. General Schwarzkopf has a house there. Wow. 
Um, so, you know, high-end clientele. So I did. I got to learn all that. I got to learn banquets. I got to learn overseeing five restaurants on the chef's days because I was sous chef Tornon at one place. So I got exposed to flipping a restaurant for the first time and opening a steakhouse. This is before steakhouses were cool. Um, so this was like very cool and new. So we had, it was called the Little Club and it was a pasta and typical bistro. They shut it down, gutted it, and we ho- we completely remodeled it. I got to do menu development for the first time and I'm young still. So then it's doing steakhouse and I ran all that. So, you know, I, I got to see so much in retrospect that I didn't realize what I was, uh, what I was learning at the time, but it definitely helped well, pave the way. Reflecting back at that time, what do, you, what do you think the biggest lessons were that you garnered from that time? organization, responsibility, uh, accountability. I think the same things that I learned now still as an entrepreneur, but they're just on a different level, right? You know, like then I'm making 28,000 a year and now my whole livelihood's on the line with personal guarantees on leases. So right. it's, uh, it's kind of one and the same, you know, but, um, and that's what was going through my mind, uh, getting, uh, experience straight out of culinary school at a big operation like this to be big like that to run at that scale at that level you need a lot of systems you need a lot of organization yeah and it's a great crash course into because you don't really get that stuff at culinary school no no no, no. so you like get the bells and whistles yeah you yeah. get the the basics of how to cook so if you throw yourself if you thrust yourself into a big operation like that where you instantly see and you get all these like little influences of what organization looks like what were the biggest organizations organizational skills you learned during that time um, I mean, everything from, from F and B meetings on Thursdays where I was, you know, sitting amongst 40 year olds as, as a 21 year old, you know, uh, to running restaurants that were pushing out, you know, 10 to 13 million annually. And we had five of those on property be running banquets, you know, where I'm putting out a party of 800. Then I drive over to the other facility in my golf cart and put out another party of 400, then bounce to the steakhouse and they'd sell, you know, $40,000 worth of steaks and then go back to the banquet hall. So all those types of things, man, juggling lots of balls, um, being accountable from things on a high level, uh, as high, way beyond my, my skill set probably at the time in retrospect. Yeah, I hear you. But, uh, it was really, it was really interesting. So from here, you said you spent time with, uh, Marty Blitz or was it, was, were those two names or is that one person? Marty no, Blitz? that's one person. That one person. Yeah, Sorry. I, should probably, I feel like I should probably know who yeah, this person is. Yeah, no, it's all good. The way you built him up during or run through your career. Uh, so Chef Marty Blitz, you said he had beard recognition, uh, I wrote something down. I think I spelled a bunch of shit right wrong. So I was trying to keep up with you. <laughs> yeah, no uh, but worries. you spent 7.5 years here, right? Yeah. A big chunk of your early development was here. And I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, this is probably where you developed the most as a chef. 100%. Marty was the, the most monumental mentor I had in my culinary career. I was there. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I realize what I wrote now. And it's oh, kind of let funny. me hear. Wait. I wrote down gift of gab got you the the role. And oh like, yeah, it's true. Well, because you know, here's what it was. Right, I'm at Saddlebrook. I'm there for four and a half years now. I think I'm like hot shit, and I'm bored with my job. And I've I've always been, I've always been one. I'm I'm the one that always wants more. Right, yeah. constant progression. So. I literally pick up the phone in my office randomly during the workday and I call mise en place and I'm like, and, and Marty is like, um, Marty's like calling up, uh, Eric Rupert at that time to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was, he was that of Tampa. He was, he's, he's the shit, you know? Yeah. So, um, I just blind called the restaurant and I was like, hi, this is uh, chef Farrell Alvarez from Saddlebrook resort. I was wondering if I could speak with Marty Blitz <laughs> and the host is like, uh, one moment, please let me see if he's available. And I'm like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. And then he picks up the phone. He's like this chef Marty. And I'm like, 
oh fuck now what <laughs> so then yeah i, I was think this far <laughs> yeah i'm like oh crap this is getting really real real quick so what'd you say so you i was like yeah man. i'm like hey this is who i am this is what i'm doing uh, i need to change the pace you know i've always admired everything that you and mise en have done and accomplished um i would love the opportunity to meet you and you know are you looking for anything he goes, yeah, why don't you come down today in a few hours and uh, meet with me? I'm like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> so uh, I, get off my, I get off my job and I drive there. I, I told myself, I'm sorry, I'm going to be sh- coming up in my chef coat. And he's like, I don't care. You know, Marty, if, if you knew Marty too, you'd, you'd understand how comical that is to him because he doesn't care about any of those things. Yeah. Um, so I show up. I interview with them. We hit it off. And he hires me as wow. a saute cook. So I went from, you know, being uh, what I thought was a hot shot sous chef at a resort to be in a saute cook and I was so cool with that I was so I was just so happy to be in the independent restaurant circuit I just wanted to do that and experience yeah. it but you know that's a big lesson right there that I think a lot of young people who aren't who don't have your emotional intelligence might feel like they're getting kind of disrespected right but the truth is no matter where you are even if you did work even if you worked with Eric Repair right or you worked with Thomas Keller right you start at the bottom when you go someplace new. And Thomas Keller does this. Think about, think about the people that go to work for Thomas Keller. You think that they don't have any experience before they get there? Of course. They had incredible experience before getting there. But guess where they all start? The bottom. That's right. That's where we all right? start. You know, you got to start somewhere. And I think it's important to keep that in mind that you're not necessarily – it's not that they don't think you can do the thing. It's that you haven't done it in their culture yet, their system. You have to see the big system before you go up. And you have to go through every – station to understand the big picture 100% I think you know humility is a, is a major attribute take take one step back to take two steps forward you know and that's totally what I did at that point I just yes. knew I knew it was going to be better for me I relocated I got a little small studio down South Tampa on next to Bayshore Boulevard which is like our hottest boulevard you know in Tampa with beautiful it's right on the water it's just gorgeous down there I want to go so, I want to go into something you said because I think it's a really important to put like a spotlight on this yeah. the, the significance of taking one step back or two step backs so you can then go forward what do you mean by that how why is it so important to be willing to step back before you go forward you know i think some people see things as um titles only right so if you're going from being a sous chef for example in this scenario and then now you're switching to a different restaurant um, whether it's taking a little bit less pay or taking a different title or no title at all, I think some people get their ego bruised by that and they're not willing to do that because they don't see the big picture. They see immediate. They don't see long, long-term, long right? Long yep. game. So um, I, I, I always see long game, man. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm living right now and I'm living for today because tomorrow's not promised, but I'm also planning for tomorrow because... I sure the hell hope I don't go anywhere and I want to be able to be comfortable long game. Yeah. So I think that was important for me to understand. And I was, I was so down for that. I was so down to step back in order. Cause I knew I believed in myself wholeheartedly. And I said, I'm, I'm going to prove what I'm about. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, I did, you know, and, and I was right. I, yeah. I rolled the dice. I gambled on myself. Investing in yourself is the best investment. My good friend, Sean told me that. And it's, it's true. I invested in myself and um, Marty and I, we fell in love. You know, like I, I literally love that man. You know, yeah. he's done so much for me. I had my first, I mean, we can go on about what they did for me as a human being in life, regardless of culinary. Um, and it probably would make me cry because they, I mean, I went through some effed up stuff with them in my personal life and they showed me nothing but love and support uh, in so many ways. So 
It was at the resort that yep. you. Uh, is that when you had your, your your baby, or was it when you were here? No, I was with, with Mise en Place okay, at, so with Marty Blitz at Mise en Place. To do with it. Yeah, for okay. sure, man. So get into that, like, because I think a lot about a lot of business growth comes from personal growth, right? Yeah. It sounds like you grew a lot personally. So paint that picture of who you were before the growth. Yeah, I was. Um, I was a young kid that thought he was really cool. That was um, working a lot, partying a lot, um, sleeping very little. How old were you? Um, this is like 20 to 24 years old. A lot of 20 to 24 year olds. Yep, yeah. 20 to 24. And I, I mean, I went hard. I yeah. grew up around a rough crowd and I always worked. I always knew how to play the game. You know, I could still, even today, I, I think uh, one of my attributes is I could sit at a table. I've sat at tables. I sit at tables with people of, you know, of a very immense net worths. And I sit with people that have nothing and um, I can still... I could still go to the hood and hang with the boys and I could still sit at, at a table and, and close a very big deal. And um, I love that about myself. I think it's a great attribute to have. I grew up in a rough environment, but I saw through the cracks and I understood how to carry myself at the right times. So from 20 to 24, I played the game well. Always, always, always busted my ass in the kitchen, but then also busted my ass harder in the clubs and in the bars and uh, in the streets. So... I literally was driving to work one day. I, I still remember, man. I was driving eastbound on Kennedy Boulevard. I had my sunroof open. I had the radio blaring, and I was just high off my own horse and going to Mise en Place for work. And my girlfriend called me, and she's crying. And she says, uh, I said, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, shit. You know? And she was my girlfriend. I wasn't planning on marrying in future. Like, I didn't see that far, you know? Yeah. So, um... Clearly, you know, we had the child and at that point, my life really started to change and quite frankly, it became significantly harder. I had a lot of issues with uh, my daughter's mom. We had a lot of issues together, I should say, with each other um, because I was definitely no angel and um, Marion and Marty just were, they were like my parents, you know, and they still are. He's my big brother. It's my big brother, my big sister. Because uh, they're not old enough to be my parents, so no disrespect, Marianne. I know that one's going to piss you off. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, you know, they, they. I, I mean, I would bring my 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 daughter to the restaurant, and you know, they would watch her for hours in the office while I got stuff done. And I would, I bought my first house, and they helped me buy my first house. Whether it's with real estate agents or brokers, and teaching me about fiscal responsibility. Uh, then I went through a breakup and I went through a bunch of legal battles trying to get custody. And I mean, it was a sloppy mess for probably five of my seven and a half years there. And they did nothing but stand by my side, give me space, give me mentorship. And this is all aside from culinary, right? Like this is like, you know, I had to move an hour away to be closer to my daughter. They gave me a credit card with a $500 gas stipend per month. You know, I then got awarded my my parental rights every other weekend and what do you do as a chef the weekend's the busiest time they gave me every other weekend off for like a couple years so i could figure my shit out like un unheard of things and this is back then like now people are like oh yeah work four day work weeks you know i don't want you to be stressed out and i do i do love all that about our industry now and i also support that in my own restaurants but 
you know, back then it wasn't that shit, man. Yeah. It was hardcore. Our industry's evolved a lot. Hell recently. yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm coming right off the heels of my conversation with Chef Genie. So I, and you're going to get this question. So it's a little bit of a teaser here. Yeah. But I asked all my guests to, to share three things to leave behind for the, if they could leave three things behind for their legacy, what would those three things be? She said, love your family, love your restaurant family, and love yourself. And those words are echoing in my head right now because you love your restaurant family. And it's not, you can be the best effing cook in the world, but if you don't surround yourself with people and love them, they won't love you back. And you need to give that love and you need to treat your restaurant people like your restaurant family. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time I get an accolade, an award, uh, a food and wine magazine article, whatever I do, I always... I always try to remember to thank them because my success is a clear representation of my team. And I truly believe humbly that leadership teaches the team. However, the team supports leadership as well. So, you know, I mean, we're sitting in take, man. Absolutely, man. We're sitting in rooster in the till right now, you know, and um, we're booked up tonight. We're sold out on reservations and that's a typical weekend for us. And I will be at the movies watching King Richard tonight with my daughter and my wife and going to dinner um, to take this evening off, uh, you know, and I, I never thought I would be in that position to be able to do that. Um, I'm so fortunate to be able to step away for a Saturday evening and know that the team is not only handling it, but they're crushing it, you know, and every, every day, every week, every month, every year, we get better and better. Things are improving as a restaurant group. And, um, I think that's a direct, representation of how hard and how great our team is yeah so back to the original question how did you grow the most while you're with uh was it was it marianne i heard yeah marianne and marty with with marianne and marty and you said you know they helped you watch a kid they helped you buy a house they gave you uh legal support they they stood by you um what did all what did receiving all this love and all the support Again, back to the original question, how did you transform? How are you a different person because of it? I think that it, it just taught me how, it taught me who I am. It taught me what was inside of me. You know, like I think that we're all programmed that way. It's just sometimes we're not clear on who we are. You know, you got to find your own voice and find who you are as a person. I see my daughter going through that right now, you know, turning 17. For, for me, the culinary side was my gift and I handled that really well. I was a great line cook. I was a great sous chef. I was inventive, but I didn't know how to be a great person. Okay, so that was my follow-up question. You said that they helped you see what was inside of you. Yeah. What was inside of you that you didn't know up to this point? What did they say? Um, somebody, somebody that was full of love and respect, somebody that had a lot of potential, a shit ton of passion and drive, that I'm all heart and I'm very little ego, um, and that I don't have to try to impress people for what they think I should be or what I want what I feel they want me to be but rather just be comfortable with who I am embrace who I am and then exploit that in a positive way to help others so how did receiving love help you understand I guess like what was it about that like that helped you understand that I mean you just dropped a lot on me yeah I think you know because I, I came from a, I came from a, a place where I wanted to be a freaking rap video, you know? I mean, like, you want, I wanted all of these materialistic things, and I wanted all of this clout that was so artificial. And that was really my focus with my friends. Like, that's what we did, you know? And 
I had this talent and it was like a, almost like a byproduct of me being my ability to cook and create really well. So now I'm at, you know, I'm 23. I had been cooking probably for eight years at that time, which nowadays there's people eight years of cooking and then they want to be a chef or a restaurant owner. So, you know, at that time I'm like still trying to figure it out. But more importantly, I was growing quicker as a young man than I was as a culinarily culinarian. And that's what I needed. I needed to better myself as a human being so that way I could really embrace my gift and exploit it for good. I have the saying that I echo often, and that is behind every great restaurant is a great person. You will never be a great restaurateur until you know how to be a great person. I couldn't agree more, man. Like yeah. Our success, and I say ours, is because it's, I have two partners, Sean Nugent and Ty Rodriguez. Ty Rodriguez is... Um, my longest term partner for about 20 years now we met at Maison Place and we haven't been apart since in business um, and it's true the, the two of us the reason why we're so successful in my opinion is not because we are God's greatest gift to food and beverage although I really do stand behind what we do and how we create it it's very unique to us but it's because we really care about people I think we're really good hearted human beings and we create a culture that is honest, that is accepting, and that it never wavers. Yeah. And I think that it's a safe haven for a lot of people. Life is relative, man. And what Chef uh, Marty and what was, was uh, I don't know why I'm struggling to remember her. Mary, Mary, what's that? Marianne. Marianne. Sorry, Marianne, if you're listening to this. Why Marianne... Um, Life is relative, right? And what they did is they help you see, they set the new standard for what love can be. And once you get it, once you receive it, you know it's there, you know it's possible. That's the new expectation. That's the new standard for yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we talked a lot about how you grow as a man and how they help you realize your true identity, right? They brought that out of you. But what did you learn about the game of business? The first thing that I learned that was really monumental and important rather than just like creating a really cool artsy-fartsy plates of food was what Marianne told me. She's like, networking and building relationships is one of the most powerful and important things you can do. And now, here I am, 43. You know, I've been in the city for a while and I do have really strong relationships with really powerful people. And I don't mean powerful like money, money which is also uh, sometimes a byproduct, but just people that are doing good in the community, whether it's spatties down the road that I just grabbed a cup of coffee with and all the good he's doing for our Tampa Bay area, all the way up to people that are building hotels, the Perium Group and EWI with Casey Ellison and my friend and business partner, Sean Nugent, with all his tech companies. Like I've built relationships with people because I value those individuals and then the business aspect of our relationship kind of comes full circle and it's kind of like an organic byproduct business is relationships 100%. man that's all it is money is just a tool to to show your love for each other your appreciation your support for each other you absolutely you're, you're just that's all money is it's a, it's a way to support your friends right like the you choose who you give your money to right and the relationship is going to help determine where your money goes yeah it's a byproduct of success yeah you know if you chase the money forget it it's an endless road if you chase what you really love and you do it really well, wholeheartedly, 100% of the time, I truly believe you will be successful. Now, if you measure that in monetary gains, that's on you. But the happiness and everything else that comes with that, I, I think is uh, 
is unparalleled. Yeah, I'm looking at the clock, man. You're opening in like a half hour, and I still have so much more to cover. But I'm loving the conversation. Oh, I'm you. pulling back the layers, man. I'm loving this. So we we have to mention that there is one more stop between. Uh, working with uh, Chef Marianne and was she a chef in front of us? No, she was. Uh, so Marianne and Marty were married. Okay. They opened the restaurant. They got separated, got but it. they still are business partners. Uh, essentially, yeah, she's front of the house. He's back of the house. She's everything uh, business, and he is the creative genius. Got it. Got it. So um, he's the creativity. She's the systems, processes, procedures. It's, yeah, I love that exactly. combination. So okay. Uh, this is where you meet with Tyrod, like you mentioned. Uh, you guys go, you move together. He's the GM. You're the executive chef. You're your team package. Was it bittersweet moving away from these mentors? Yeah, definitely. It was. Um, it was one of the hardest business decisions at that time. It was by far the hardest business decision I had ever made uh, in my career. It's definitely top five. Um, but. It, it was like it was time, you know. I mean, to stay anywhere for seven and a half years in this yeah, industry man. as an employee for someone else is is somewhat unheard of nowadays. Yeah, were they planning on opening another restaurant? They had they had a couple restaurants, you know, yeah. and um, we did great things, man. I did, you know, I helped them open up a restaurant in the Museum of Art here, and we did a pitch for that, and I was involved in all of that, and we we had a you know a multi million dollar catering company as well, and you know the restaurant was it still is bang, and it's you know it's just it was it's a such a powerful force in Tampa. When you say mise en place, anybody knows anything about restaurants in Tampa Bay, mise en place is by far a oh. staple, maybe only second to Burns. They are on my list officially now, and I'm embarrassed I didn't know about them, honestly. So you and Tyrod, you go, uh, you do the, the Chef GM partnership, you, you go to work. How long were you at this location? What was this location? The, the location is called Cafe Dufresne. It's okay. on Harbor Island. Um, we were there for four and a half years together. Ty, Ty, Ty was probably there for four years. I was there for four and a half years, give or take a couple months, right? And um, basically, the owner had come to me while I was at Mise en Place. He was a customer of ours. We knew each other. Him and his wife at the time wanted to take their restaurant, renovate it, revamp it, and take it to a culinary level as opposed to just like an average restaurant. And they thought that I was the person to do that. Um, so we spoke for quite some time. I, I heard them out as to what they wanted to do. I felt like what they wanted to accomplish needed a full package. So I said, look, the only way this is going to work is if you hire Ty as well, because you can't just fix the food. You've got to fix the whole package. Yeah. So they understood. They agreed. They hired both of us. We moved on. Um, I think we gave Marianne and Marty like a six or eight month notice. You wow. know, you know, it's just like it's it's truly it's true love. So we went about it the right way. Um, Marianne and Marty always treated us and still treat us. Um, the way that we they did at, when we worked for them, I'm always grateful for that. Nobody got shit on. Everybody did it the pro, the proper way, the old school way. And then we assumed that position at Cafe Dufresne for four years, four and a half years, and um, that was an interesting ride too, man. I mean, it, it, it wasn't all positive. If I'm be, if I'm being honest, it was the first time ever that Ty and I had got fired from anything in our entire lives. Um, that's truly a byproduct of the divorce that the owner went through and a monetary decision um it was a shifty it was a shifty situation and it was very uh immature and unprofessionally handled in our opinion i'm sure uh, the owner has you know a different variation of that but it was just it was the way it was supposed to be in in ret- at the time i was pissed off and hurt and all these other sensitive things but now it was just it was a learning lesson for us and it was a it was a good ride. Like, don't get me wrong, we had some good highs, you know, and we hit some great accolades and stuff like that. We did what we said we were going to do, 
Um, and then when it was time to part ways, it got a little, it got a little bit uh, bitter and heated. But it forced us into a position where we had to shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Okay. So give me one lesson. You said there's a ton of lessons. If there's just one lesson you can pull from this, something that is absolutely worth taking away from that time in your life, what is it? Which time of my life are you speaking? When you said you, you, there was a lot of learning lessons in the separation of being fired in, in retrospect. Yeah. What um, is the, the big lesson? Business mentality. Yeah. As I say, it's, it's primarily business at that point. You know, it's like I, I learned that being direct with people and being communicative is key because I felt like we didn't experience that from ownership. There was a lot of deceit and surprise at the end. And now, if I have an issue with somebody, instead of being passive, my, my employees is what I'm speaking to, or anything, any relationship in my life, if I, if, instead of being passive aggressive, I communicate. Yes. Why you is know? communication so important? I think because people don't know how to communicate well, and they don't know how to articulate well what they're feeling, and they're so worried about judgment and or hurting somebody. But the reality is, is that the deception of the honesty is by far more painful than the truth. Yeah. And you're like, if you just come out and say what's going on, people are going to make assumptions. 100%. They're going to think other things. Their mind's going to drive them crazy. They're going to try to think about what you're thinking and they're going to maybe make the wrong assumption. And that's what their truth is going to be. And that truth isn't going to be your truth. No. So just fucking say your truth. Yeah. And it might hurt somebody in the moment, but the truth will set you free in the it long will. run. And the truth hurts for a reason. You know, I think that sometimes people have to process things and they have to, they have to be able to receive them. Not everybody's open to receiving things, you know? And if people can't receive your truth, then you're not a good match and it's time to move on. But at Absolutely. least you know where each other's at. And I don't want to do people injustice either. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass as my employee. If you're not doing a good job, I'm going to tell you why you're not going to do a jo- good That's job. That's your job. I'm going to explain what needs to be done. I'm going to give you the tools to do that. And then I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And then if you can't progress in that scenario, I'll give you a few opportunities. We'll discuss it every time. And then at the very end, we agree or disagree to part ways because it's just not for us. So here you are now. Uh, you and Tyra to get set free. Um, probably a blessing in disguise because yeah, for sure. now you're, you're free to do your own thing. So what's the year now? 2013. Now's a great time to th- take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to package how you guys started Rooster and Till. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Did you know that in 2020, the number of people using ordering and delivery services surged by 30%? And as a restaurant owner, it's crucial to have the ability to meet guests where they are, and that's where Pop Menu comes in. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the tools they need to transform their online presence, simplify ordering and delivery, and take control of marketing. Pop Menu will build your restaurant a website that's designed to engage guests. Pop Menu allows you to showcase your menu with featured photos and reviews, which means it's time to ditch those boring PDFs. But Pop Menu is so much more than just online menus. It is the simple and efficient way to streamline your ordering experience. Each pop menu site is built with an in-house delivery option to open more revenue streams and greet guests wherever they want to eat. This means no more phone orders or losing commission to third-party apps, and you can easily set up curbside pickup 
and contactless ordering, plus Pop Menu's remarketing tools enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. You can now send automated smart messages based on past orders, or you can send special offers to incentivize new orders. Trust me, Pop Menu will take your restaurant to the next level. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. One more time for good measure, popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And now paint that picture. You, you, you and Tyrod go your own way. You're free to do whatever you want. What's the conversation? What's going on? So Ty is now the executive director for Gasparilla Music Festival here in Tampa, which is a very large music festival that has only grown since then. And again, this is back in 2013. Um, so he's got an income. You know, he's a single father. I'm a single father at this time. So I have like a seven or eight-year-old. He's got two kids. So we're trying to, it's like shit or get off the pot. Yeah. He's got his thing going. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous as all hell. Never been fired in my entire life, man. One, the best thing about me is that I will scrub toilets, scrub tile. I will stay later than you and I will outwork anybody. So now I'm nervous as shit. I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, so quite frankly, I said, fuck it. I'm going to do my own thing. I call up Ty. He said he's down. I call up my chef, Brian Lampy, who was with me at Mise en Place and then came with me to De- Cafe Dufresne and is now the executive chef of Rooster Natil. He's over there prepping, as you can see. Um, he's been with us for 15 years and never stopped. Um, as his wife is as well. She's been with us probably about 10 years. We met her at Cafe Dufresne. That's where they met and they got married there for meeting there, you know? So love story in the making. My wife as well. That's where I met her. Uh, So positives out of that relationship. More positives, I should say, because there was a lot of positives. But nonetheless, um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to find the cheapest white box I can. I'm going to see if I can beg, borrow, and uh, not steal money from people. And I got $40,000 on four promissory notes from friends and or family, 10,000 bucks each. And I told them I would give them 3% accrued every year, pay them back in three years. Um, Called up my fifth friend. He was the president of a local bank. And he said, I will give you 20 grand and I want equity. And I said, cool. What does that mean? (laughs) So then I started getting my business knowledge together and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Did you, was that okay with you after you figured it out? Yeah. You know, like, now I would never do the deal based off the points and the equity, but no, Joe, I mean, Joe, Joe Caballero, he, he believed in me again. He's like uh, Alan Strayman part like six and, um, networking relationships going back to Marianne as well. Uh, Joe gave me the blessing of that opportunity and I took it. We beg, we, we lied our way as to what we were going to do with the original rooster. It was only half of the size of what you see now. So right now we got about 2,200 square feet. It was only 1,100 square feet. I had 32 seats only and um, it was very small. So here I am, 60,000 bucks. I got my, my chef friend Brian with me. Ty's working full-time at GMF, but he's down to transition if it can support him. But you know, you can't feed so many families off of one small restaurant so i'm trying to figure it out i'm like okay i'm gonna do a homemade charcuterie spot with really cool cheeses wines by the glass boutique wines craft beer again eight nine years ago so even though it sounds not so cool back then it was a little bit more cool in in, in process or thought um and 
I don't know how, but I, I fucking did it, man. You know, we did it. I'm, it. I was not alone by far, but I found one contractor who was like a green builder and he lives locally here. And he's like, sure, I'll help you figure this out. And we got free fencing that we found around the area. We took it apart for two weeks, literally sitting here on buckets in the, in the space that we're standing in now. And we built a wood reclaimed wall. I got on Etsy and I found these lights and we hung lights in the ceiling ourselves. I found a local carpenter and said, hey, I got 8,000 bucks. Can you make me a 26-foot-long bar and this and that? He did it. I got on Craigslist. I found a sports bar that went out of business that had bar stools, tables, and chairs for sale. For 200 bucks, I rented a U-Haul. I bought them all out. We sanded them down. We painted them black. That was our tables and chairs. Dude, I love this. And uh, what's happening right now is the power of what happens when you say, I, when you don't say, I can't do this, but you do say, how can I do this? Oh, fuck that, yeah. That frontal lobe kicks into hyperdrive, and you said to yourself, it's time to shit or get out the pot, and this is going to be a really gross thing to say, but you took a fucking shit, man. You fucking make it happen. Like, yeah. you, like you made it happen, and you thought, how the hell am I going to do this? I can't believe I just said that. I'm sorry for anybody that's like, oh, man, Eric. Nah, it's good Why'd for you? that. It's good for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you said, how do I make this happen? You, you made it happen, and you asked yourself how. And when you ask yourself how, like you find solutions. You just brainstorm and brainstorm and then you start you, t- you tell other people like this is what I'm trying to do yeah. they brainstorm they, now you're combining your mental power and everyone's in on it and you have the collective of the group all trying to figure out the same problem how do we do this and the, you'll fucking figure it out man you're gonna figure it out we didn't have a choice right I mean it was either that or go on unemployment actually I was on an unemployment for a little bit and I, I mean I never experienced anything like that man and I think like the fear of it pushed me and, and created a lot of drive and then me being so naive to opening up a business and what it really took was was beneficial at that time because if I really realized the full scope or the risk I probably wouldn't have done it because I would have been scared shitless Yeah, you know and you can't even do what nowadays you can't even do what we did then because the city was like on a bubble of learning about opening restaurants. It was nowhere near to the capacity of what it is now in terms of population of restaurants. So I had no hood system. I lied about my menu to get opened by the state. I said I was just going to do like, you know, slice charcuteries. I wasn't baking anything. I didn't need a grease hood. Um, you know, I didn't even have enough air conditioning. Like the, we opened up the doors. And because of our reputation at Mise en Place and Cafe Dufresne, quite frankly, you know, people knew who, who we were. And they followed us. So we opened up the doors and we were on three-hour waits right off the jump. And we couldn't keep up. And it was the best, most exhilarating thing ever. I didn't take a single day off, no bullshit, for seven months. Seven months straight, I didn't take a single day off. In some capacity, I was in this restaurant doing everything with like three cooks. Miles Gallagher, who's now my director, our director of operations, he was at a local restaurant. He was a buddy of mine. He wanted to come on board as manager. So he... Came on board as manager. Leah Lampy, Brian's wife, was a server. And we just figured it the fuck out, yeah. man. So this is 2014, you said? 13, 13 yeah. December 16th, 2013 was our ago, first day ago. of service. Yep. Um, okay, now, like what you did in the very beginning for me, you kind of got aerial. You went big big picture. Do the yeah. same thing. So you have three more restaurants. Yeah, yeah. So, so two, 2013, when did you blow up? So 2013, we, start, we opened up Gangbusters, four months. We're stacking capital. We're sitting on a little bit of cash. The space next door gets available. Like by month 10, we obtain the space next door. We sit on it. We continue to stack capital. Month we start planning on how to build it out with a real contractor at this time, now turning it into a real restaurant, and it's what you see today, sans some of the renovations that we've done to bring it up to like aesthetic speed. But month 14 or 15, we take down the wall, we double our square footage, 
and that's that. Um, let's see, that's probably 2014 or yep. 15. Yep. And then a couple years later, we opened up Nebraska Mini Mart, which is an acre and a half of property about a mile away here in East South Sem- in South Seminole Heights. Excuse me. And uh, we got outdoor shuffleboard, outdoor bocce ball. We got music. We got outdoor local vendor markets. Uh, and at that time, we had like a very global street food um, menu. Uh, and then we opened up a taqueria in Sparkman's Wharf in Channelside District of Tampa called Gaito Taqueria. Gaito meaning little rooster in Spanish. Um, and then... How many years later was that? 2019, you said? Let's see. I've had, we've had Gaito for probably three years now. Okay. So 2018? Yeah, roughly. And then you have one more restaurant that you've opened. Yeah, and then we opened up a second location of Gaito Taqueria in Lakeland at the Joinery, which is a food hall, a modern food hall with craft uh, beer as well, and a full bar. So they uh, approached us to do a location there, so we did a location there as well. All right, beautiful. Thank you for painting that picture yeah, of course, and um of oh man so much to cover such a little time yeah, we're, we're gonna do part two <laughs> this is just uh part one right no yeah well i would love to come back man and i uh, yeah absolutely if you would give me that opportunity i'm coming back to tampa there's no question so um one thing that i love about the early on that i think sets you up for success is a lot of restaurants um they either go too big and they're over they're they, they're undercapitalized and they can't make ends meet or they go too small and they can't, they can't, they don't, they get Generate bottlenecked. Income. Yeah, yeah, they get bottlenecked, but they could be making way more money. So was it intentional to go into a space where you knew you had potential growth over time where you could blow out a wall? Or is that just? Nope. See, not at all. I, ha- I was ignorant to it. I didn't understand it. You know, in retrospect, like you said, there's no way I'm feeding Ty's family and my family off 1,100 square foot restaurant plus a chef plus a manager. It just doesn't happen that way. I just had this conversation yesterday. Some, a friend wanted to have like a consulting conversation because they're trying to do a coffee shop. And I'm like, dude, you got to realize you, you need like four or five of these in order to feed you and your three partners, families, yeah. you know, like scalability is everything. Yeah, man. Cash flow and people determine your growth, but you need to set yourself up for scalability. So yeah. if, if you go into a space that doesn't let you grow gradually, you're limiting yourself. So if you're looking for your first space, ask yourself, is there an opportunity? Is this vacant spot next to some place that could potentially soon become vacant? And if you can find those, because what happens is that there's the law of this diminishing returns over time. Like you're going to be hot in the beginning, but once you're not new or need anymore, like people are going to forget about you and you need to do something interesting to bring people back and blowing out a fucking wall is going to be something that brings people back. Cause you, you know what that's called yourself. What's that constant progression? Yes, man. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then like, so what so what happens there like where are you like as far as your business like what are you super profitable you're making good margins you had money to invest like what determined the second restaurant three years later four years later um yeah i was having lunch with sean right next to it and the property was vacant we got done with lunch and i'm like hey man let me i want to show you this place right on the corner and there was a chain link fence surrounding the 1.5 acres and it's an old double-sided drive-through farm store at the time and I was like, dude, we could do something like this. And I'm like spitting the idea. And he's like, damn, bro, that sounds cool as shit. So then like time goes by and he's like, let's, let's, like, let's have our architect draft something up. And then he likes it. He, he, he gets excited about it. Next thing you know, we pull the trigger. Yeah. I'm going to let you determine the rest of our conversation because you know yourself. You know your story better than I do. What are, what's one thing that we have to discuss that the people on the other end of this who are looking to learn from you, looking to get motivation, inspiration, knowledge, what's the one thing that you know that will help whoever, whoever's on the other side of this? Oh, man. God. 
there's not enough time to answer that, right? Because I could just <laughs> ramble about shit. But I think, honestly, it goes back to the successful thing. I think, I think it's not hard to be successful in this world. What's hard is to hold yourself accountable and to honestly give, give your all to whatever your craft is 100%. I think that every a lot, many people give 60%, but on Instagram, they want all the riches. They don't realize that you have to be relentless, you know, whether it's with personal growth. I think it's a, it's a combination, you know, like you got to constantly read and educate yourself. Continuing education is key. You have to be a great human being. You have to think beyond yourself. You have to think about your people. You have to be relentless, you know, like if you're, if you want to wake up at nine o'clock, work, be home by five. You're going to get those results, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to achieve great things, then you have to give great effort. And it's not hard in terms – the only thing that's hard about it is the application because yep. not everybody's willing to do it. Sacrifice. That's for great it, success, man. you need great sacrifice. And it's not forever. It's a, it's a short period of time that you sacrifice more than anybody else, and that sacrifice will let you get – access more privileged than more than than anybody else right agreed but it's most people just don't get there because they aren't willing to put the time in and they quit before the it gets exponential enough for it to be worth your time yeah for sure yeah i mean you know like my my days start at 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning and they typically end anywhere from i mean anywhere from 9 30 to 11 30 and then sometimes i have to go home and i have to do menu writing or i have to do some things outside of the box you know i gotta look through contracts and stuff so it kind of never ends but i love it i don't think of it it's not painful to me it's truly what i love so when you find something that you really love and you go all in the results are as such yeah man um, so the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, transform the, in- the industry. Uh, we've already talked about how you've transformed personally. You're, you have much more, you're much more in tune with what matters to you. People love that sort of thing. No ego. So I don't think I need to resurface that. I just did. Um, but one of the questions I really want to focus on going forward to get after this idea of transformation is transforming the industry because I think there's a lot broken with our industry and you've seen a lot of progress in the most in the recent years you touched on one of those things where we're much more aware of work-life balance now and like it's, it's almost necessary if you're going to attract onto yourself because they'll get it other places if you're not going to give it to them right yep. what else needs to change about our industry what's broken with our industry right now what needs the change uh the consumer and the way they value food and beverage and restaurant dining. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, somebody will go out, somebody that makes $40,000 a year will go and buy a pair of Gucci shoes because they really want those Gucci shoes. They really want to take a picture of the shoes on their feet so they can tag it. 100%, right? Um, and then they come here and they'll have a dinner and then they'll be like, wow, that was, that was $100 a person. Well, yeah, like there's no commodity ingredients. There's service to the nines the china, the labor. You know, we start here at 8 o'clock in the morning for a four-hour dinner service that begins at 5 o'clock, you know, and we're open four days a week. The yeah. focus is real, you know, and you, you get what you pay for. I think with the whole McDonald's 69-cent cheeseburger bullshit, you know, like, you, could you imagine making a cheeseburger? Go, go to the grocery store and make me a cheeseburger for 69 cents. You can't. Yeah. You literally can't. You can, but it's going to be processed shit oh that's going to give you cancer. cancer it's going to be years. science. And that's what that <laughs> yeah. is, you know? And But that's what perceived value is now, right? So I think that needs to change. I think that people need to go back to the old school mentality. And quite frankly, we need to be charging what it really costs. So everybody, 
I believe for a long time was like, oh, you're selling it for $21.99? I'm going to sell it for $20.99. And all we're doing is fucking each other and the industry. When it should, you have to have core costs. It has to be costed out. Like there's true food costs in order to run a viable business. And the reason why people bitch about this game being a pennies game is because they're not charging enough because they're worried about getting patronized, quite frankly. And you have to be able to pay people what they're worth. You can't pay dishwashers shit money anymore and cooks shit money anymore and expect them to work all these hours with no benefits. Like I always say to our team in our team meetings, like, we want to be the Google of the industry. You know, I want to, we offer four-day work weeks here. They work full-time in four days. They're off Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. There's opportunities to earn more money at our other locations or with special events that we do here. There's opportunities to go stage with other restaurants and bakeries that are our friends to do continuing education off property. We have one week of staff vacation. They have six-month performance evaluations in which their performance dictates their annual raise or their six-month raise, biannual raise. Um, We do annual parties with the whole entire company for team camaraderie things. Pre-pandemic, we did them every six months and we would do like outdoor ropes courses and then do like a pig roast with a little bit of a bar afterwards. Everything doesn't have to be alcohol focused. You know, like health and wellness is important. We don't party the way we used to anymore, myself included. So I think by leadership, by default, my entire, my, all my staff knows that like chef doesn't eat staff meal when it's fried chicken because he tries to eat healthy. And there's nothing wrong with eating fried chicken. I fucking love fried chicken, but like all in moderation. Right. (laughs) And like, that's like the ethos in life. I think like finding the balance. Also the fact that like, this is like an endless game. Like, Oh, if you work for the rest, if you work for the hospitality industry, there's no future bullshit. Like you, you need to, we need to teach them what a Roth IRA is, when to start investing in that in their twenties, how to, how to think about, you know, EFTs and, and doing financial things, acquiring real estate, paying them well so they can do this. And in order to pay them well, we have to charge the consumer properly, not gouge them, but just charge properly. And then you see some bullshit like Salt Bay where they're charging $850 a steak for the same steak that is really $32. And, you know, you it's like so Instagram lopsided. Guy. Yeah, it's so freaking lopsided, Dude, I man. deleted Instagram off my phone except for when I'm on the road because I have to capture things. And when I get home, I delete that shit because it's fucking up society. There's a kid in here, it's, okay. it's fucking up society, man. Yeah. It's real bad. And I think we're all looking at false realities and comparing ourselves to that, um, which is why... You, I don't. This is like such a little part of what you just shared with us. But I swear to God, man, you were just in the room with me with Chef... Uh, Genie, because we were literally just talking about this, and I just made the same exact argument you you did, where we're like we don't value food. We have a false conception of what the value of food is, but we did it. The restaurant industry did it. We told people that this is the value of food because we cut corners. We made it about value more for less, but real food costs real money. Absolutely. But we we are kind of responsible for. I think now we need to kind of actually let me ask you. What do we need to do to, to what needs to happen for us to convince the consumer that things are different now going forward? What has to happen? I, I think it's a little bit of an education process. You know, um, that's kind of hard to convey. Um, I think social media do, can help in that regard, which is a, a upside for social. Um, I think that it's important to understand that we need to teach them how much things should cost why they why it costs that way and then start to understand value and and get rid of the the 69 cent cheeseburger bullshit 
fast food is always going to exist. Yeah. You're not getting rid of Mickey D's, and nobody, quite frankly, wants to get rid of Mickey D's. But just understand why it is that way. Yeah. And I think exactly what we're doing right now is what needs to happen as far as what we need to start sharing information and start empowering each other to show them how you can be profitable doing it the right way and giving people the, the tools to be successful. But we have to stop competing against each other and competing on price and sharing and withholding information. We need to lean on each other if we're going to see lasting change. We have to take a break to thank our sponsors. We're going to be right back to do a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I I personally love most about talk to the manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you most believe contributes to your success? Positivity. What is your biggest weakness? 
being my uh, self-critic. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Good people. What's your biggest challenge today? Keeping up with all I want to achieve. How are you dealing with it? Trying harder. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Positivity. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? A way to be, a way to act, a core value. Natural. What do you mean by that? Be yourself. You know, like you don't have to be a robot. You don't have to do the old car salesman bullshit. Be organic. Be yourself. Be genuine. Yes. You know, when you bring food to the table, just be yourself. Be polite. Be respectful. You know, no, no cussing and all those things, but be yourself. Yeah. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? The Obstacle is the Way. Ooh, I love it. Uh, what's the biggest lesson from that book? That the obstacle is the way. What do you mean by that? <laughs> that uh, your pa- the, the obstacles in your path is your path and your journey, and that's what you're supposed to be learning. There are no shortcuts. There Just you go. do the fucking work. Uh, what's one piece of technology that you've adopted within your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, profitability, anything along those lines? Fusion Prep. What is Fusion Prep? Fusion Prep is a software platform that can house recipes. It can... Digitally, it digitally prints out labels so there's no more handwriting in the kitchen. It stores all recipes on your iPad. There's iPads on the walls. You can see them in my kitchen. Um, it does HACCP programs. It does training. It does all your manuals for your equipment. You can even get temperature controls for all of your refrigeration. That'll notify you during off hours. It's, it's, a, it's an extremely great software tool. Say it one more time. Fusion Prep. Thank you. And what is one service you've outsourced? So this isn't necessarily a technology as much as it's a group of people or a person that does something better than you could ever do in-house so you outsource it. Hmm. Maybe talk our you know, table, our, our reservation system. Reservation system, yeah. Um, man, I don't know. We, we, too, we try to do so much in-house, you know, aside from like the corny things like linen, reservation systems. Uh, everything else is, you know, kind of uh, handmade in-house. Got it. Um, this is the last question. We've made it. We're at the end. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind. For the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Family first. One. Live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you want done to you, you know, just uh, regardless of creed, race, religion, just be a good fucking person to people. Two. Man, I think can I, I'm going to do a slash just so I can make it three and four. So I'm going to say positive mindset slash live with humility. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your, your, your knowledge and your mentorship. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. I talked to Peter Lazar earlier this week and he said, you've got to talk to those boys over at rooster uh, or, or that the boys, the collective group, right? <laughs> um, but who do you respect and admire? And if you found out that I had them on the show today, you'd be tuning into that episode. Wow, so many people, right? Give me a couple if you have to. Yeah. So um, I really respect and admire one of my best chef friends, um, Brittany Anderson in Richmond, Virginia. She's um, she's actually flying in on Saturday to do a guest chef dinner here. Uh, God, so many people. Max Petty out of Seattle, Washington, who owns a few restaurants out there. He was here last month doing a guest chef dinner. And these are truly my friends as well. 
uh, somebody that's not my friend who I just spoke to last week for about 20 minutes on Instagram because he was so kind to bless me with his time is Gavin Kaysen uh, out of Minneapolis, you know, one of Thomas Keller's um, biggest protégés and an extreme success story who's running multiple restaurants. So we had a chat about um, just being where we're at in life and owning multiple restaurants and how, how he goes about kind of structuring director of operations and operations in general and on really high level things like that. So he blessed me with his time. And now you can keep going, but we got two minutes left. Nah, no worries, man. I can go so far, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Sh- Sean, Wynn, my friend, Ty Rodriguez, my partner, two amazing men on that are very different, but are very similar in many ways as well. All right, here we go. Uh, Brittany, Max, Gavin, Sean, Tyrod. Look, I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show. How can we connect if we want to come eat here? Maybe we want to follow you online. Maybe we want to come work for you. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first and foremost will be our website, which is roosterandthetill.com. All spelled out. Nothing fancy. Uh, you can hit me on Instagram at, at Feral Alvarez. That's F-E-R-R-E-L-L-A-L-V-A-R-E-Z. You can hit Rooster at at Rooster and the Till on Instagram. Uh, we are, I believe, on Facebook still too. Even though, if, I don't know, Meta is kind of should I call it Meta now? <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, and then, more importantly, we're located at sixty five hundred North Florida Avenue in Tampa, Florida three three six zero four in Seminole Heights, directly north of downtown Tampa. So come peep us out, Chef Farrell. There is no question, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Pharrell Alvarez. Man, I uh, really loved talking with you. And like I said, we uh, we got only about an hour and 10 minutes with you, which is a lot of time. And we're super, we're super grateful for that. But man, I would love to get more time with you because I would really love to pull back the layers on some of the things you brought to today's conversation. And uh, man, I know you got some great advice up in that noggin we could we could pull back the layers on for sure so i hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation and i really love the sentiment that chef pharrell echoed at the end this idea that we need to educate the consumer on what the cost of food is and really put our foot down and explain to people like when they complain to us about how expensive it is show them the p l show them the equation you use to get to that cost and really start showing people hey this is what it costs and this is what we need to make the world a better place and maybe that's going too far but man i would i would put together like a laminated sheet where you literally show somebody the cost your cost to to make a burger and just slide it across the table to them anytime they they ask about prices and it's something we need to do i think it's our it's our 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 duty to educate people um i think this industry can transform the world I, i truly believe that so uh, on that note of transforming the world, I think it all starts with transforming the industry. And we do that in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And we have some really cool things coming at you in January. We have Peter Lazar, the gentleman I mentioned who set us up with all these amazing interviews. He's the author of Restaurant Strong. We're going to be going over his book and his episode uh, in a peer mentoring session. That will be January 18th at 10 a.m. Then we have Stephanie Robson coming back for parts two and three of her three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout uh part two will be january at 10 a.m part three will be uh january 28th at 10 a.m and then we have david helbrun coming to 
talk about lease negotiation. And David is a well-regarded New York City attorney who's going to be helping us really, uh, you know, it, how often do we negotiate lease, leases for restaurants if we're new to the industry? Never. We don't know what we're doing. So he's going to take us through that. And if you guys are not in the network, if you email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, I will get you a link for a 30-day trial so you can be a part of the conversation. All right. That's it for this week. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.